This podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Hell on Hills podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And welcome to episode 35. Hello. Hi. Okay, Annie. Yeah, I hear is, you. This is, I don't know. How's your day? Uh, it's fine. It's good. Uh, you just want to hear about the rodeo, don't you? Yeah, I really do. Okay, here's the thing is we got there and it was so crowded like standing room only and we were a little bit early thinking pre-show starts at 6 30 if we're there like 6 15 we should be able to get like squeeze in somewhere Mm -mm. it was loves his rodeos i apparently it was (laughs) so packed and we've never been to that rodeo so it's not like there was any grassy spots to sit on everything was gravel and it was just there wasn't really a lot of uh, like the benches or the bleacher type seats to sit in so it was just kind of like okay whatever so we we stood and we watched for a little bit but then what happened is that parents started letting their kids climb on the fence and we couldn't see after that so we what the hell we, is wrong with parents i don't know <laughs> yeah, so we ended up just leaving and we're like okay well we saw the the bareback whatever they call it Let's just go to dinner. So we ended up going out to dinner and it wasn't perfect because no one in town was at OT. <laughs> they were all at the rodeo. Oh, wow. That's perfect. Remind so think, me to do stuff like that. Yeah. So it was like perfect timing. We're like, okay. I mean, we still had like a 15 minute wait to be seated, but we went out to a nicer place and it was good. So how, really good. Yeah. how are you? Uh I'm here. I'm making it. Um, I made French toast with strawberries for breakfast, and that's been the highlight of the day, I think. It was really oh. good. Oh, well, at least you made breakfast. Yeah, I nailed it as a mom. Jack really liked it, so that'll make up for me being dumb and <laughs> not knowing how to do math. <laughs> I was going to say, that doesn't make up for you being late today, Amanda. <laughs> that is... <sighs> there was poop everywhere. There was poop everywhere. It was I'm on sorry. her. It was on me. I just threw that outfit away. Just I don't care. Okay. I don't uh, know why well, you're complaining. I had to clean it. Okay. Well, while I patiently waited for you, I got bored and was doodling, and I drew something that I think you'll appreciate. Okay. Are you ready? I'm so ready. <gasps> Is that a freaking donkey on rollerblades? It sure is. I love it so much. I want it on a hat. I want it on a shirt. Oh, my God. On the pocket. Uh, Oh, my gosh. I need this donkey everywhere in my life. freaking adorable. (laughs) I'm so happy. I needed that. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad I could um, make that a little bit or make your day a little bit better with that. I'm just I'm done. Like after this, I'm going to bed because I don't know how anything can get better than that. I Nothing can top my artwork. <laughs> For our listeners, we'll post a picture of it, but it's definitely not artwork, but it it is a doodle. That's I think for sure. It, I think it's precious. I think it's very cute and adorable and I don't think I can do it. Um, if it makes you feel better, I googled how to draw a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> what about the roller skates? 
Um, I did Google how to draw roller skates, but they weren't really working because I was needing something for a donkey. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so. I can see where Google uh, might not have all those options. Yeah, they were they were not readily showing me roller skates for donkeys, so I don't know. Google's gonna have to just step up their game. So I was just winging the roller skates. But oh, I do have another highlight of the day. I don't know how I already forgot. Um. So I James went to Walmart and he's like, "Well, what do you want? You want anything?" And I was like, "Yeah, you got to get my prescription." And he was like, "Yeah, but what do you want?" Oh. Uh, to which I was like, you know, to live, get more medicine. But also, uh, I was like, I want a Reese's. And he came back with this. Wow. He's like, okay, Reese's. Yeah, there's um, 60 of them. And Look I at have... Annie go, oh my goodness, those are all for me. <laughs> Did you hear her? Yeah. Her attitude changed. Of course, she's not going to do it anymore. Well, I'd take it, I guess. They're in wrappers, so have at it. Until you see her shoving one in her mouth like you did the pen. It's everything, everything. Always (laughs) to the mouth, and it always happens so fast. Everything happens so fast. I just want to, like, handcuff her wrists. I don't know if that's a great idea. (laughs) Can her head... So, I saw this on TikTok. Obviously, I would see this on TikTok. I mean, duh. But can you imagine just like taking both hands, putting them over your head and just not being able to like actually do it or like your head taking up this whole space? Do it with Annie. (laughs) I don't think she likes it. (laughs) But no, you're right. Almost. Okay. Here. She's like, don't you take my toy from me. God forbid (laughs) I take the Reese's. Oh my God. It is my child. (laughs) you're just realizing this well she yeah uh i I had my suspicions that maybe somebody switched her at birth or something but yeah i don't think so i don't think so all right well we have a couple announcements updates i don't know what you would call them call them whatever you want um we want them sure announce dates uh (laughs) we did want to uh, just mentioned that we do have that Discord channel up and going again. Um, so if you guys want to be added, please email us. Um, as soon as we have 100 people in it, we can just, you guys can just search for it. But we're not, since we just barely are announcing it, we don't have, there's three in it, four in it, including James. And I don't that's remember why James got added. Because I used his computer. Oh, that's why. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so you have access to that. So if you do want to be added, just email us at Hell on Heels Podcast. If you know one of us personally, just text us. If you don't, just you get your options. You can also reach out on Instagram and Twitter, right? Yes. We'll post on Instagram and Twitter about it too eventually. Um, And then also, we have just released our first special on Patreon, right, Amanda? That was going to be released by now. One is that Jack the Ripper? I thought that was yes, 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 okay. yes, 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 yes. Sorry, yeah. So, as Amanda gets really lost, we did a special in depth um, episode on just Jack the Ripper, um, <clears throat> where all three of us did a little bit piece of the research, 
And so that should be posted to our Patreon. So if you're interested in listening or actually seeing that one, because that one we did not just audio, but we did the video with it as well. So that's up for you guys. Um, Did you have any other updates? Did you want to shout out any states this week? I do. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm going to shout out Alabama because, hey, y'all. Yeah. The people listening there, I probably know personally. So. Let me see. We do have a pretty good listener base in Alabama. So, I mean, in Mobile. Mm -hmm. Thank you for representing. Yeah. Thanks for showing up. We really appreciate you guys. Even if it's Triton Leprechaun, because I know you did. Yes. (laughs) I know we're 35 episodes late to recognizing you guys, but we're doing it like better late (laughs) than never. Yeah. I just, I represent and uh, shout them out every day with my presence. 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 You're Okay. Well, I'm glad someone does that. I don't. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is directed to someone that uh thinks they're hilarious, Brittany. (laughs) Yeah, I don't approve of bird videos, especially when the birds are swarming. That type of thing is when you GTFO and you just never look back. (laughs) So just so you're aware, I saw I was not thrilled. Anyways, that's all I have. Do you have anything else? Um, no, just going to try to figure out how to take this bag of Reese's from her. Oh, that's her bag of Reese's. This bag of um, 53 Reese's. Oh, you've had seven? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we really hey. got to take this bag from her. <laughs> you can math. Look at that math go. Yeah, when it comes to candy. <laughs> Reese's Just specifically. Apply candy logic to everything. I would be 642 pounds. That's not what I meant, but okay. Oh, okay. All right. Well, are you ready for a story? I'm so stoked. Let us begin. You're just stoked because I had to get clarification on how to say some of the words from James. (laughs) (laughs) So fair warning, everyone. Um, this this is a Germany story. Um, I'm going to butcher all the words. My German teacher told me, my German teacher is also James, Amanda's husband, because, I mean, apparently he's, yeah. he, he has it covered. He told me that everything is just phonetically, like he's just phonetically sounded out unless it has a W. <clears throat> I'm going off what he says. So if it's wrong, it's his fault. Oh, he did come back later and tell me, no, there are more than that and i was like uh no it's too late Mm -hmm. you said too late phonetically so nope he's too late that's he told me phonetically and we're doing phonetically take that mr i know stuff about things (laughs) exactly so today we're going to talk about the hinterkaifeck massacre have you ever heard of it never in my (laughs) life okay well this case is actually considered to be one of the most gruesome puzzling unsolved crimes in germany history um well damn so it's it's a bit of a doozy so it takes place on a farmstead in bavaria which is north of munich germany and the farmstead is actually named hinterkaifeck so hinterkaifeck just a little bit of history literally the only piece of history i really have about it is that the farmstead was built 
in 1863. Um, within the farmstead lived Andreas Grubber, 63 years old, Kazilia Grubber, 72 years old, and the wife of Andreas, Victoria Gabrielle, 35 years old, and the daughter of Andreas and Kazilia, and then baby Kazilia Gabrielle. Her first name is not baby, but I'm calling her baby Kazilia. Um, says the name Kazilia. I really enjoy the name Kazilia. It's I'm probably saying it wrong, but I love it. Can you please tell me how to spell that? C-A-Z-I-L-I-A. Oh, yeah. I like it's that good. a lot. It's a that good one. one. Okay. Yes. Um, so, baby Kazilia, she's seven years old, daughter of Victoria. And then you have baby Joseph Gabriel, two years old, son of Victoria. Um, one thing I forgot, I don't know how I skipped this bullet, but Victoria is widowed. Her husband died in World War One. And she then you all her daughter after her mom? Yes. Oh, that's sweet. Yes. I, I really think people that do that are the best kinds of people. I love it. I think it's so stinking cute right there. Kazilia. Mm-hmm. I, it's just, I think it's just the name for me. I love that name. I might have to have another kid just to name it Kazilia. No, I call dibs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> Fine. Okay. And then the last occupant of the house was Maria Baumgartner, 44 years old, and she was the maid of Hinterkaifeck. So okay. uh, they were all living on this homestead. They were known to be a really, um, like, really kept to themselves type family. Like, they didn't do a lot of stuff in the community, cause issues, that type of stuff. They were just kind of to their self. Um, some people speculate that as early as October, oh, October 1921. I almost said October 19th. It wasn't October 19th. <laughs> as early as October 1921, the family home had strange occurrences happening. Um, it is for sure known that in mid to late March 1922 that the family was having strange occurrences. So the six months prior to the incident is kind of it's speculation. Um, the established family maid at the time, this was not Maria. This was a completely separate maid. She actually had quit six months before the incident because she had heard strange sounds coming from the attic. She also had a constant feeling of being watched and it scared her enough she just quit. Um, she has her priorities straight. She believed the home to be haunted, and she's like, peace out, not happening, not today. And uh, you go, girl. I would leave, too. Can't blame her. Don't at all. <laughs> yes. Um, so Andrea Scrubber had found newspaper from, or had found a newspaper from Munich on the property in early 1922. Now, this is strange because the family doesn't order that newspaper. So he kind of sums it up thinking, oh, I'm sure the postman just lost it or something mixed up addresses. No biggie. But what's really strange about this is later it comes out that no one in the area subscribed to that newspaper. So there would be no reason for that newspaper to be on their property. Um, in addition, one of the family's two house keys had disappeared in March 1922. They just don't know what happened to it. Uh also, in mid-March 1922, Andreas tells neighbors that he discovered tracks in the freshly blanketed snow. And the tracks led from the forest to a broken door lock in the farm's machine room. But there were no tracks leaving. He didn't find anyone on the property, but he still couldn't find tracks leaving the property. Burn the property down. <clears throat> yep. Lock the door, burn them down. What year did you yep. say this was again? I'm sorry. 1922. 
Ah, uh, okay. So I could, uh, they can't just build a Walmart and replace the deadbolts to their house. No, they can't okay. just replace everything. No. Well, that sucks. <clears throat> now, later the same night, the same night that Andreas uh, saw the footsteps or the footprints, the family hears footsteps in the attic. Andreas Grubber again didn't find anyone when they inspected the attic. Um, he also found scratch marks on a lock to the tool shed. Now, Andreas told his friends and neighbors about the incidents, but he didn't seek help from police. He didn't report anything. Um, so these details were not revealed to the police until later. On March 31st, 1922, Maria Baumgartner arrived at Hinterkaifeck. So Maria had accepted a job as the farm's maid. Her sister dropped her off, visited briefly, and left. Her sister was likely the last person to see the residents of Hinterkaifeck alive. Late on the evening of March 31st, 1922, Victoria, Kazilia, Andreas, and baby Kazilia were lured into the family barn one by one. As each of them went into the barn, they were struck in the head with a mattock by an unidentified person. Do you know what a mattock is? I do not know. So it's basically, it's a hand tool. It's got a long handle, a white head, and on one side it has a chisel and on the other end it has a blade. Oh, so it's a product of nightmares. Yes. So each of these members enter the barn and they are struck with a mattock and they are all killed in the barn. After, the perpetrator would stack their bodies on top of one another and cover them with hay. The assailant then enters the home or the residence and murders baby Joseph and maid Maria. Joseph was in his bassinet and Maria was in her room. This was the same day that Maria arrived on, the, on Hinterkaifeck. Okay, you said, are you going to go into how they're lured out? Is this like a candle in a window thing? Do they hear a weird sound? Uh, Did they see a bunny uh, rabbit? The issue is, is this is, basically, no one knows for sure how they were lured out. Because no one knows, spoiler alert, it's an unsolved case. Yay. I actually already mentioned that it was unsolved, but you just didn't pick up on it. Yeah, I was just, I don't know. I don't know if they may have found, you know, like a lit candle in the window or no. some shit. And that, I don't know. No, police came to the conclusion because it would have been three adults and one child. And to lure all four of them out at one time just seemed a little far-fetched that one, one or two people could take on them, you know? Well, I guess it makes sense, too, if you lure one adult then you would tell an older child like hey go get so and so and they don't come back and mm -hmm. so i guess okay okay yeah we've talked this out thank you i believe okay. that now okay i'm glad appreciate you yep um on april 1st 1922 so this is technically the day after at 3 a.m farmer simon reblander states he sees two unknown figures at the edge of the forest on his way home when these strangers see him they churn so that their faces couldn't be seen or identified when he heard of the murders, he thought it was possible that the strangers were involved, but they could never be identified or found later on. Uh, again, on the next day, April 1st, 1922, coffee seller Hans and Edward Shirovsky oh arrive at Hinterkaifeck to take the family's order. Uh, they knock on the door and they don't get a response. And after a couple moments of silence, they, knock on, they start knocking on other doors and windows. They end up walking around the yard. They do notice that the gate to the machine house was open, but they don't enter. 
Um, and they just kind of come up empty handed. They can't find anyone. So they leave without searching the machine house or not searching the machine house. So they leave without making contact with anyone. Again, on April 1st, 1922, artisan Michael Plockel, he was happening to pass by Hinterkaifeck. And he states, so this was in the evening. He states that the oven to the homestead had been heated. He could tell there was smoke. And an, uh, an individual approaches him with a lantern and blinds him. The glare from the lantern blinds him. So he doesn't actually see the person's face. Um, and whatever interaction happened between them, um, Plockel kind of hastily continues on his way and doesn't do anything else. He doesn't know anything's off. Um, he did state that the smoke that was coming from the fireplace had what he called a disgusting smell. Now, whatever was burned was never investigated, so we don't know what may have been burned that night. Damn. Over the next few days, the neighbors start to notice the family is missing. Baby Kazilia was absent without excuse from school for a couple of days. The family failed to show up for Sunday worship, and their mail had begun piling up. Albert Hoffner arrived to Hinterkaifeck on April 4th, 1922. He was there to repair the engine on one of the food choppers. He waited for about an hour for someone from the family to show up, and he just kind of decides after an hour he's going to start on his repairs. He's there for a total of four and a half hours um, working on the machine. And while he's there, he states he didn't see anyone and he didn't hear anything other than the sounds of the farm animals and the dog inside the barn. That's just eerie. Mm -hmm. Later on April 4th at around 3.30 p.m., Lorenz Schlittenbauer sends his 16-year-old son, Johan, uh, and his 9-year-old stepson, Joseph, to Hinterkaifeck. He had grown concerned for the family and he was hoping his sons would be able to make some sort of contact with the family. But when his sons arrive home, they say that they still couldn't find any signs of any of the family on Hinterkaifeck. And these, like, I guess they're not doing, like, thorough searches, but these people are here the whole time. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, I, I hope you know, I love his last name so much, Schlittenbauer. I really do, too. Like I typed it out, I don't even know how many times. But he gathers his friends, Michael Paul and Jacob Sigel, and they head over to Hinterkaifeck. When they knocked on the door, all of them had the same results. No one was answering the door. So they head over to the barn and they actually force their way into the barn. And here they find the bodies of Andreas, Kazilia, Victoria, and baby Kazilia. Uh, shortly after they find those bodies, they enter the residence and find the bodies of Joseph and Maria. All of the bodies had been covered in some way. The four in the barn were covered with hay. The two inside, the baby was covered with a dress and the maid was covered with a blanket. Hmm. So the men contact authorities and Inspector George Reengrubber and his department begin their investigation. In total, the victims had not been discovered for about four days. The initial investigation was hampered by the sheer amount of interaction that so many different people had with the crime scenes. Uh, the bodies had been moved, so when uh, Lorenz Schlittenbauer and his friends were there, the, they did move bodies, they touched things, uh, a lot of different items had been moved, smoke had been seen coming from the chimney between the night of the murder and the discovery, and police come to the conclusion that the killer remained in the home for several days after. Evidence shows that someone had fed the cattle, milked the cows, there was evidence of cooked and eaten meals that had been left in the kitchen. Their bread stock had been eaten. Someone had recently cut meat from the pantry. 
Um, and it's believed that the murderer lived with the deceased victims for at least three days. And it is also believed that the murderer may have been living in the attic for up to six months prior to the murder of the family. And that is what the first maid that quit had heard six months prior. Are you good? I'm like, nobody checked the attic? They did. It just was empty. Yeah, but like, did you check it? Like, did you look for a poop bucket? Did you look for crumbs? Anything? Um, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, I should say that I'll tell you more about what they find in the attic later on. Okay. So, court physician Johann Baptist Emuller performed autopsies for everyone, and he established that a weapon such as a mattock was the murder weapon that was confirmed um, later on when the actual weapon was found. But at this time, he's speculating because there was no weapon at the scene. Now, just uh, the next... I don't know what I was typing there. I don't know. So they find... Oh, I do know what I was typing there. So just fair warning for everyone. The next few bullets are the actual details of the state of the victims when they were found. I cut out a lot compared to what my sources said. So if you don't want to hear it, fast forward 30 seconds or something. So they find uh, the elder Kazilia had her her skull cracked from seven blows to her head. And she also had signs of strangulation. Andreas had been found with blood all over his face and they described it as shredded. It was so bad that his cheekbone was now sticking out. Victoria. Yeah. Victoria had her skull shattered and there were signs that her face had also been hit. In total, they were able to identify nine star shaped wounds on her head. What the? Okay. This one's a really hard one. Okay. Is this the baby? It's baby Kazilia. Oh, God. Okay. Her jaw was shattered. Her face and neck were covered with slashing wounds. And they also found evidence that baby Kazilia had been alive for several hours after the attack. And she lay in shock in the barn for hours. That evidence was that they had found hair in her hand. Like she had torn her own hair out in clumps. Oh, my God. Uh Uh-huh. Um, Maria and baby Joseph were found in the home and both appeared to have died quickly from multiple blows to the head and face. I'm, sh- I'm shattered. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, <sighs> so they go on to actually remove each of the victim's skulls and send them to Munich for further examination. The only documentation for what the examination I could find was that they were sending it to clairvoyance. Like to psychics. Oh, okay, that's that's what to, I, that, that's what I thought you said. Yeah, to gather what they called metaphysical clues. They were not talking, and they had no such luck with the clairvoyance. Literally, all of my sources said that's where the skulls were sent, but that very well could be different. I just couldn't find anything different. You know what? I'm kind of like on the fence about psychics. I don't know. I would very much like for that kind of thing to be real, but mm-hmm. I myself. Just don't know if it is or don't have any experience with it. So it's hard to believe. Uh, But I do appreciate them. Like, if you say this is unsolved, I appreciate them taking every route. Like, what's it going to hurt? You don't have anything else to do. I agree. I agree. 
Now, police believe that the family had been drawn out to the stable from what they described initially as the restless noises coming from the animals. This is later ruled out as they find out that they were not able to hear a human screaming in the barn from the residents. So the noises of the animals would not have disturbed anyone in the home. Hmm. Uh, Authorities also initially believed that the motive was robbery. Following this lead, police end up interrogating traveling craftsmen, vagrants, um, inhabitants of the surrounding town, just basically anyone they think would profit from wealth. However, this theory is quickly abandoned when a large sum of money is discovered in the home. So now the robbery theory is out and police begin to struggle to find motive for this massacre. And they do continue their investigation. Less than a year after the murders, Hinterkaifeck is demolished. In the process of demolishing it, they find a mattock in the attic as well as food scraps in the attic. They didn't check the attic. I'm assuming they checked like when they initially got there, but I don't I don't know. It doesn't yeah. say anything about that. They also found a penknife in the hay in the barn, and they don't know what significance, if any, this has to the case. They did also find oh, I skipped a bullet. In the attic, they also found that tiles had been moved so that the family could potentially be tracked throughout the home. Absolutely not. Like, just creeping on people, watching them? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I'm so... I got chill bumps. I got yep. goose pimple. Um, there is now a memorial for the family that stands on the property now. In May 1927, there is a report that a stranger was said to have stopped uh, a local resident of the area. And it was about midnight on that night. And they say that the stranger had been asking questions about Hinterkaifeck and the massacre. And the stranger then shouts that he's the murderer and runs into the woods. And that man was never found or identified. What the? F- I don't don't know. Did they? Did anybody chase this man? I, I'm <laughs> assuming the villager was too stunned to say anything. I can relate, honestly. Yeah, I've just been sitting here mouth agape for this entire story. I just, I, I can't imagine like in town doing something like going home or something and someone's asking me about a massacre that happened five years prior and then screaming that they're the murderer and running off i'd be like what 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 do i do you know honestly i've i have to say i would not chase him Mm-mm. if somebody said that to me i would just be like hey, you have a great day you have fun sir yeah good yeah. luck in your woods yes Now, throughout the years, police, like I said, they do a ton of investigations. They actually um, do over 100 interrogations throughout the course of the investigation. Um, They do make several arrests throughout the years, but ultimately none of their arrests could be not confirmed. Substantiated? Substantiated. Okay. We'll get it together. (laughs) None of the arrests could be substantiated or founded, and so there has never been a murder um, identified. Officially, the files for this case were closed in 1955. However, the last known interrogation for this did take place in 1986, just before I left this in here because I thought you would get a kick out of me trying to say it. Criminal Hopped Commissaire? Criminal Hopped Commissaire. Basically, the detective chief superintendent 
Conrad Mueller retired. So he did that last investigation on this case before he retired. Say it again. Criminal Hauptkommissaire. Uh, I'm pretty sure you are 1000% accurate in your pronunciation. I'm pretty sure I'm not. So please, for those of you in Germany, correct me later. And yell at my husband. He's the one that told me phonetically say everything. Yeah. So, And he lived in Germany for a very long time. So we have to trust him, right? No. Oh, okay. So in 2007, 15 students examine the case using what they call modern criminal investigation. In their report, they do confirm the meticulousness of the investigation at the time, but they did criticize the lack of professional forensics. Specifically, they talk about the failure to take fingerprints. Um, they say at the time, it was already a common practice to take fingerprints, but none or uh, an inadequate amount were taken. They did develop a theory as to who, as to what and who perpetrated the murders, but they did keep this private out of respect for the families involved. It was almost 100 years later. A lot of the suspects had um, passed on and a lot of the people involved had also passed on. So they just decided out of respect for those families, we're not going to release um, our theory. So to this day, the case is still unsolved. Are you ready for a list of suspects? Oh, yeah. Let's go. Okay. I've got like nine. Oh, let's go. Okay. I'm sit up in my chair a little bit. I guess I should say nine suspect listings. There's technically some of them are like multiple people. Okay. Okay. So the first set of suspects is the Gump brothers. Adolf Gump. <laughs> With a name like Gump, they, they absolutely did it. Excuse me. What about Forrest Gump? Oh, he is part of my rationale here. Have you ever watched that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Look at, did you see how meticulous he was in listing off all the uses of shrimp? Listen, you leave him and his shrimp alone. We're going to go <laughs> on to talk about the Gump brothers now. Um, Adolf Gump was listed as a suspect early on in the investigation. He had connections to the Free Corpse Oberland. My next bullet is Bryce. Wiki page is up, so read on it before recording. <laughs> you missed that bullet. I missed that bullet. <laughs> I hate when I do that to myself. Let me Google. <laughs> uh, it was a voluntary paramilitary organization. They fought against communist and Polish Polish insurgents. There you have it. Um, okay. Yeah. So in 1951, prosecutor Andreas Pop inve- investigates Adolf and Anton Gump in relationship to the massacre. The reason is because their sister, Crescentia, claims that Adolf and Anton had committed the murders, and she made this claim on her deathbed. Um, Anton was remanded to police custody, but Adolf had died in 1944. Um, so this was before Andreas Pop started that, the investigation that route. But by 1954, the case against both Adolf and Anton uh, discontinued because there just wasn't any evidence to prove their involvement. So that's the first set of suspects. The next set of suspects. Also, I saved the best theories for last. Okay. Um, The next set of suspects are Carl S. and Andreas S. In 1971, a woman named Teresa. Teresa writes a letter to authorities. 
And it states that at the age of 12, her mother receives a visit from the mother of Carl and Andreas. And the mother of Carl and Andreas claimed that her sons were the murderers of Hinterkaifeck and states he lost his penknife during the course of the conversation. Why? Now, Is that rem- something that had been released, a detail? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, damn. Okay. Um, they did find that penknife in the home when they demolished it in 1923. When they found it, they were not able to assert who the knife belonged to. But they kind of followed this lead. It yielded no results. And part of it is because the maid that quit six months prior to the incident, Krasenz Rieger, um, she was certain that she had seen the penknife in the yard while she worked on the homestead. Okay. So it kind of got dropped through there. All right. Suspect number three, Peter Weber. Peter was named a suspect by his coworker, Joseph Betts. And according to Betts, Weber spoke of Hinterkaifeck. He talked about the family. He talked about how he knew they were wealthy and blah, blah, blah. And Betts claims that Weber had suggested killing Andreas Grubber, the grandfather, to get the family's money. It is not clear if this lead was ever investigated, but we, we also know that robbery was not the motive. Yeah, I was so, going to say they left the money there. And yeah. continued to live there, apparently. So they had just had plenty of time to get the money and go. Right, 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 right. Um, The next set of suspects are the Bichler brothers and George Siegel. I'm sorry, the what brothers? Bichler? B-I-C-H-L-E-R. I really hope that's how you say it. (laughs) I hope so, too. Maybe it's Bichler. Bichler. You're being a real Bichler. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay, we'll say Bichler. It's not any better, but fine. (laughs) So this came about because the former maid, Krasenz, Rieger suspected brothers Anton and Carl Bischler of the crime. Um, Anton had helped with the potato harvest at Hinterkaifeck in the past, and so he knew the premises. Krasenz claims that he spoke to her often about Grubber and uh, the Grubber and Gra- Gabriel, Gra- Gabrielle family. Gabriel? Gabriel family, that's how I've been saying it. And where was I? And Anton suggested that the family ought to be dead. So she emphasized in her interrogation that no one would have heard the farm dog because the farm dog never barked at Anton, but he always barked at everyone else. She also claimed to have spoken to a stranger through her window at night and believed she may have spoken with Carl Bischler. Don't Uh, do that. Don't don't (laughs) speak to strangers through a window at night. No. (laughs) She believed that the brothers and George Siegel commit the murders. Now, the reason George Siegel gets pulled in is because George worked at Hinterkaifeck and he knew of the family fortune. Siegel reportedly broke into the home in 1920 and stole items. He, however, denies that that ever happened. He did, however, state that he himself carved the handle of the murder weapon when he worked there. Oh, that is. Oh, okay. he also know where the tool had been kept. But again, if this was about the family fortune, it's yeah. not like this because, I mean, they left money and valuable items on the property. I also so. wonder, too, like a tool like a Matic, <clears throat> excuse me, how many places could one really keep that? You know, like a rake. How many places is somebody going like to keep a rake? It's also on a farm, though. Yeah. You have so, like, you have a barn, and you have this machine building, and you have this and this. Like, I feel like there's a lot of places you're going to keep that. 
depending on the size. And that reminds me, I do have a picture of the actual Hinterkaifeck before it was demolished. Oh, I saw that. The little, um, I saw that when I was. Um, The next set of suspects are the Thaler brothers. And according to, again, former maid Krizenz, uh, the brothers had commit several minor burglaries in the area, and she claims that Joseph Thaler stood in her window at night and asked her questions about the family. So now okay. I kind of feel like she's all over the place. I'm sorry, is this a normal thing? Do people just go up to windows and have conversations back in the day? Do you have to know each other? You just knock on a random window and be like, hi, what is your name? It's Romeo and Juliet style, Jesus. That's terrifying. They died. I was talking about before that scene, okay? Oh, you mean where their families <laughs> hated one another? Yeah. They very well could have been. <laughs> Anyways, so she says that Joseph Thaler stood at her window and asked her questions about the family, and she said she gave him no answers about the family. However, Joseph Thaler claims to know which family members were sleeping in what room and state that they did have a lot of money. Um, Krizenz also noted that there was another person nearby, and according to her statement, Joseph Thaler and the stranger, which they assume was his brother, um, looked at the machine house and turned their eyes upwards before walking away. Yes, super weird. Okay. (laughs) Paul Mueller is our next suspect. In the book, The Man from the Train, author Bill James alleges that Paul Mueller may have been responsible for the massacre. Mueller was the only suspect in a 1897 murder of a Massachusetts family, and uh, author James believes that Mueller killed dozens of victims and dozens of families. The Hinterkaifeck murders were very similar to those that Mueller is suspected of in the U.S., Uh, Author James believes that Mueller, who was a German immigrant, fled to his homeland after some of his patterns were discovered. And those patterns were things such as use of a blunt edge of a farm tool, um, the slaughter of an entire family in their isolated home, and the absence of robbery as a motive. So he thinks maybe linked. Okay. Okay. So now we're getting into some real good ones here. Our... Next suspect is Carl Gabriel. Carl is the late husband of Victoria, one of our victims. Your face. So basically, Carl is reportedly killed in France by a shell attack in December of 1914 during the First World War. His body was, however, never found. So after the murders, people speculate that Carl did not, in fact, die. Um. They actually speculate that Joseph, the youngest, was born while her husband was away, or who was born while her husband was away, and it was rumored that Joseph was not Carl's child. He was rather a product of incest between Victoria and her father, Andreas. They had an incestuous relationship that was documented in court and known to the village. Both Andreas and Victoria had spent time in jail for their incestuous relationship. Oh, yes. At the end of World War II, war captives from Germany were released, uh, and they claimed that they had been sent home by a German-speaking Soviet officer who claimed to be the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. And it's theorized that the man was Carl Gabriel. Um, The men in this 
story later revised their statement, giving the claim a lot less credibility. But that is one big theory. The next theory a lot of people have is that Andreas Grubber did a murder-suicide. So many believe the rumors that Andreas did in fact father baby Joseph. And they believe that he killed the entire family, then killed himself. This was dismissed because none of the wounds on any of the family members could be proven to be self-inflicted. And the last suspect is probably the craziest one. Well, I don't know if it's as crazy as Carl. The dead guy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so Lorenz Schlittenbauer is the final suspect. Do you remember who that is? That's is that the cop guy? That's not the cop. He's the one that discovered he's the neighbor that discovered the bodies. Okay. 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 So Lorenz's first wife died in 1918, and it's believed that shortly after he had a relationship with Victoria Gabriel. And Ma'am. he fathered Joseph. I need her to calm down and everybody else. Right. Like let her live her life. Right. Uh, early on, he's considered a suspect by locals. Many thought several of his actions after the discovery of the bodies were suspicious. Uh, when he and his friends arrived to investigate, they had to break a gate to enter the barn because the doors were locked. But after finding the bodies in the barn, Schlittenbauer enters the home with a key. Huh? Uh-huh. You know, that might would make sense, too, as to why everybody was covered in some If he knew the family and that was, like, his way of... I, I think he care? found them covered. Oh. No. But, I mean, if he was the killer, it would make sense as to why they were covered. Oh, yes. Um, so, he actually entered the home alone. He didn't go in with his friends initially. Um, They do point out that a key to the home had gone missing several days before the murders, the murders as well. It is very possible because Lorenz was a neighbor and may have been Victoria's lover. I think it's possible he could have had a key to the home. I don't feel like that's a far-fetched thought, but I I guess I don't know. So his friends ask um, ask Lorenz why he enters the home alone if the murderer might still be there. And Schlittenbauer stated that he went to look for his son, Joseph. His friends also state that he just very acted, or he acted very just kind of, you know, whatever, very nonchalant about everything that was going on. They said, like, viewing the bodies and even handling the bodies, he was just very nonchalant about. Uh, he also would have known his way around the farm really well. Now, regardless of what might have happened when he entered the home, uh, we know that he did disturb the bodies at the scene. So, we know that he uh, moved them in some way or another when he entered. Many years after the murders, the locals remained suspicious of him due to strange comments he made. Uh, One person says that he made a comment that only the killer would know. And the comment was made in 1925. A local teacher, Hans Jablager, uh, finds Schlittenbauer. <laughs> sorry. Jablager. I know. I'm sorry. I'm butchering all oh. these names. I feel so confident on Schlittenbauer, though. I like that one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Hans Jablager finds Schlittenbauer visiting the demolished remains of Hinterkaifeck. 
and he asks him why he's there. And Schlittenbauer states that the perpetrator's attempt to bury the family's remains in the barn had been hindered by the frozen ground. This would suggest that he had knowledge of what they had tried to do after the murders and the condition of the ground at the time of the murders. I will say he was a neighbor. He would also know that the grounds were too hard to dig anyways. Yeah, and I can see that. Yeah, so I, for that part, like the knowledge of what the ground was like, I feel like he would know. But maybe the knowledge of they tried to bury them, he shouldn't know. But I don't know for sure. A possible motive may have been that Victoria demanded financial support for Joseph. Or that because it was known that Lorenz accepted Joseph as his son. But he might have been suspicious that, again, Joseph was not his, but fathered by Andreas Grubber, Victoria's father. So that could have been a possible motive. Police, however, did not believe he could have committed the crimes because Lorenz was actually asthmatic. So they simply didn't believe that he had the stamina to bludgeon six people to death in the time span that he did. He was also married at the time, and for him to stay on the homestead for three days would have been a trigger to his wife. Yeah, like, hey, what are you doing? Something's up kind of thing. One thing I did say, because I was kind of talking to Cody about this case, is maybe he was on the homestead and his wife just said, yeah, he's home. But I also think about the kids. I don't feel like kids know how to keep that type of secret very well most of the time. So I feel like the kids would have outed him. But I also don't know if the kids were interviewed or interrogated, anything like that. So police really kind of abandoned this. And actually, before Schlittenbauer died in 1941, he won several civil claims for slander against people who described him as the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. Oh, wow. Okay. Ultimately, today, it's believed that the killer was someone with intimate knowledge of the farm and someone that had a personal vendetta against the family. The family was buried in a plot in Wadehofen, which is near where Hinterkaifeck stood. Um, They were, however, buried without their skulls. The skulls were lost during World War II and never returned. And that's the story of the Hinterkaifeck murders. How did the clairvoyants lose their head? Um, I don't know. Honestly, don't know. It was in Germany during World War II. There was a lot of shit going on. I, I get, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 Hey. Okay. Questions, like comments, concerns? I didn't mm-hmm. say you would. I concern many, very many concerns. I'm still stuck on the fact that people are just courting one another through a window <laughs> at night. Okay. Like courting each other through the window. We don't well, even know what happened. Look, talking you... about murder with strangers, that sounds like courting to me. I don't um, know what that's how me and James got together. Only he talked and he listened. I mean, that sounds right. In the maid's defense, she just thought it was like the house was haunted. She might have just thought she was losing her mind. Yeah. Man, I bet she's glad she got the hell out of there. I am sure she's glad, but it's oh also really sad, especially knowing that it was Maria's first day. First day. She wasn't even there 24 hours. Oh my. What does she do? Arrived? Ugh. I still like the zombie ex-husband. 
That is my favorite. <laughs> I and was going to do that one as my very last mm-hmm. um, explanation, but because I kind of detailed the incestuous yeah. relationship in that one, I decided yeah. I should do it beforehand. That one kind of, uh, I mean, that one makes a lot of sense to me, too, for the same reason that the neighbor did. Because in my mind, as somebody who has absolutely no psychological training whatsoever, except Mm -hmm. for my own issues, I think I had heard somewhere that when somebody covers the body is like for, you know, respect and dignity. So a lot of times they're close to that person or those people. Mm -hmm. So if the husband comes home and your wife has not only moved on with her life, but moved on into the arms of her father. Gross. I could see somebody losing their mind, especially after you come home from war for world war two. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I will say police, when they looked into uh, it possibly being the husband, they did have um, other soldiers that were like, no, we saw his body. Oh. Like we may not have been able to recover it, but we saw his body. So that that's where the police kind of ended that investigation is because they're like, well, we have witnesses that physically saw the body. Yeah. So again, they might have seen someone else. I don't know, but that's that one's probably my favorite theory. But what do you think? I think if you hear footsteps in the damn ceiling, check the attic they did we've had check it better and then you check it and check it again and check it again we've had women stashing a whole ass lover in their attic attic. for years and years we've had you know murder weapons found in attics just check oh my god i'm so uncomfortable babe check the attic right now go check the attic i heard five steps absolute now Check the damn attic. Just, I'm just have check, to check it. The attic. I'm going to have to check the attic. And the crawl space under the house. I'm going to have to check all the crevices. Okay, well, in my defense, I I didn't say there was someone in your house. We it didn't even happen in the same country. It's happening everywhere, okay? My first pair of in-laws, my first pair of in-laws, that's a weird thing to say. But yeah, my first set of in-laws, they had somebody fall through the their ceiling while they were like watching TV or something because he was hiding up there and they didn't know it. Why is this soak waters? There there's just I don't know. Me and James were literally talking about getting a simply safe today. What's and that? what I mean by that it, a simply safe, a security system. And I mean like I was the one talking about it and he was telling me why we didn't need it. But it's like 93 cents a day. Hello. Get one. Duh. <laughs> well, I'm glad you appreciate my story. We can go ahead and move on to yours now. <laughs> I am doing like my little uh, continuation in a way. My kind of part two. Okay. So this is Preston Castle. <laughs> no, you're not talking. I'm talking. This is Preston Castle. And last week I talked about Anna Corbin. This is where she was working and where her body was found at the time of her death. It's Preston Castle is one of many buildings. It's the original building and it was the Preston School of Industry. It was established by the state legislator legislature in California, in Ione, California. 
And it was established in an effort of rehabilitating juvenile offenders. It was the Preston School of Industry, and it started as one building, the school did. And that one building they called Preston Castle because, well, you saw the picture. It's a freaking castle. I actually have not seen the picture, but I'll look right now. It is it is huge. It's on a hill in Ione, California, and it's like looming comes to mind oh, as a good shit. word. Yeah. Yes. And Preston, the Preston School of Industry was established by the state legislature, the California state legislature, in an effort of rehabilitating juvenile offenders. It was the school was named after Senator Edward Edward M. Preston, because in 1889, he passed the reform school bill. And that bill called for two established uh, state reform schools, because before these two schools were built, um, they just sent the prince to the kids to prison. The prince to prison. They sent the kids to prison. Did you say the prudes to prison? Because I I would be there in a heartbeat. I said the prince to prison. I don't know what's wrong with. Them. I mean, they sent the kids to prison. <clears throat> so they started building Preston in 1890, and they purchased 130 acres from the Ion Coal and Iron Company. And then they had 100 acres donated from, or for a total of 230 acres. You can just donate acres like that. Right. Can someone like, donate some acres to me? Yes, just one acre. I would like a single acre, please. I would like a single acre just so my dogs have somewhere to run around. Yes, a single acre with a fence, probably, because my dogs are idiots. My dog. My issue with our dogs is that one of them is smarter than us. I think I have that same issue. And let me tell you, it's not Buck. <laughs> you know, mine is Maisie for sure. <laughs> I don't know how she does it, but there are days where I'm like, how the hell did you end up going on this trip with me? Maple is intelligent. She really is. The only problem is she's also rebellious. And mm. she's... But Buck, I was cleaning... You know how the lint gets stuck on the fan blades? I was cleaning that. And the lint fell to the floor. Um, and this stupid creature was eating the dust i mean Why? yum yum dog and the sad thing is he's gotten better Ugh. so anyway they paid 30 dollars an acre and here's some fun stuff for you uh think of it in candy so they would have paid a total of three thousand nine hundred dollars and in 1890 three thousand nine hundred um would be equal to $124,903.86 in today. That's a so lot that, of candy. That's a lot of Skittles. Can you just imagine the Skittles bath you could take? Can you imagine how much tongue you would have left from the sour Skittles? Because it wouldn't be much. Oh, you wouldn't have a tongue. Like, it'd Absolutely be gone. Not. And I would be thriving regardless. <laughs> So the Preston School of Industry was completed and opened July of 1894 with the one original building, the castle. This castle is approximately 50,000 square feet. Who the hell's cleaning that place? <laughs> <laughs> so glad you asked. Uh, it's the wards, kids. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. 
They do have housekeepers, too, obviously, because Anna Corbin was head housekeeper. But wards were assigned to these housekeepers. They had duties, housekeeping duties, stuff like that. They have their chores, dang it. We're going to get into how <clears throat> not great this place is. Um, but as, as not great as it was, it all started from the beginning. Because the bricks that they used to build Preston Castle, it was made from sandstone bricks. And they were made at San Quentin and Folsom by inmates. So from, like, the ground up, this place just has, like, some negative energy. Yeah, it's not great to hear. Um, as commonly seen in these old prisons, reformatories, mental hospitals, like we always see, uh, it grew. And that second picture is pretty expansive. <laughs> so one year after opening it, they installed a power generated by, or excuse me, they installed power generated by a water wheel. They also had uh, an elevator that was powered by water. Like, they just kept adding stuff to this school. And before long, it was, <laughs> in my notes, I have a big as hell and self-sufficient. So it encompassed, at its peak, 1,000 acres. 750 of that were farmlands that were tended to by the wards. There were about 800 wards, some boys were as young as seven years old. There were also 200 staff members and about 50 buildings. And there were classrooms and dormitories. There was a bakery, a power plant, a carpentry shop. There was a shoe shop. There was all kinds of stuff going on here because it was, it was like a military style. I keep wanting to say prison, but it, was, it wasn't a prison. It was like a military-style school. So the bad thing about that was it wasn't just wards of the state that were sent here, uh, but it was also used as a reformatory for kids that did get in trouble. So you had your bad kids, your really bad aggressive kids, and then you just had this poor kid that doesn't have his parents anymore all at this school together. They did have, um, like, isolation. But um, all these kids were pretty much just housed in a dormitory. So, so what's, uh, never mind. I'll keep my mouth shut on that one. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you'll touch on it. Oh, yeah. A little, little bit. Um, they also had a hospital where the doctor there performed surgeries. Um, okay. They also had Wait, a firehouse. surgeries are they performing? Uh, I didn't, <laughs> I couldn't find any examples, uh, but, um, like, I'm just trying to think, like, I feel like a surgery is a pretty big deal and to perform it in a prison seems maybe not sanitary or appropriate or oh, girl, we don't get into deal? sanitary. We're going to get into sanitary. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm just feeling like maybe don't do Don't that. get into sanitary or don't get no, into No, no, no. Don't do surgeries. Yeah. Here. Okay. Go on. <laughs> um, 
And basically the layout that I have, that second picture, is it was built to have a secure area north of the castle. And in that little southern area where the employee cottages and the superintendent's house. So there were some employees that really never even had to face any kind of danger or anything from these kids. They were always separated. So I guess kudos for that. Uh, and it wasn't position wouldn't have interaction of some sort. I would guess like secretary or something like that. Maybe a cook. Although I assume they probably had Ward's cook. I know they had them baking and stuff. Hmm. What they did, the boys would, they would learn for half the day, which is why they had the dormitories and stuff. And then they would go off and they would learn a trade. Uh, And like I said, all sorts of stuff. There's a legend on that second picture. And I'm going to zoom in a little bit here because my thing is real small. So yeah, they have uh, a maintenance auto shop. They've got they a paint shop, a boiler house, and the wards were the ones that did most of this. So they would have somebody teaching them and showing them, but they learned to do this all themselves. Okay, I mean, I like the concept. Yes, uh, and there was it's kind of both sides of life. There were people. Like Eugene Monroe, for example, who he was bad going into this place. He was presumably bad at this place and he was bad coming out of this place. But then you also have people like Merle Haggard, for example. He spent years here as a boy. Do you know who Merle Haggard is? Okay, country singer. Pretty, pretty famous country singer. He would be like grandpa or great grandpa for us, but so he's a little older. Okay. I'm probably wrong, but. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there there were some famous people that did go here. You have for sure offended someone now. Uh, well, just wait till next week. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. And it wasn't always bad. They had a, uh, I think it was a marching band up until like 1960 when it closed. And they were like pretty good from what I could see. Uh, they had tennis. The boys could play tennis. They could read in a, you're going to love this. A 7,000 book library. Oh, damn. That's a good library. Right? Uh, They were also marching with wooden guns. Like, you know, military drills. Yeah. They were given wooden guns. And then eventually they would be given uh, real guns with the firing pin removed. So I'm assuming the more violent of the boys possibly would not be given either of these I'm guessing pretty heavy objects. Why was the firing pin removed? So they could not shoot each other and or. Oh, I thought of that. You're right. Okay. That makes sense. (laughs) Um, Not a gun fanatic here. Like that's (laughs) no idea. Fire pin make bang. Okay. Fire pin bang. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, If the kids were well-behaved, they were even allowed to visit little uh, tiny, and the website said this, not me. They were even allowed to visit tiny downtown Ione a few blocks away. So they just let them, I guess, walk down the hill and go to town. I'm not sure. I guess that doesn't really sound like a prison much. So I guess if they're good, if cool, kudos, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I know prisons do that nowadays. Like, 
you know, and the point of this school was to, oh God, I almost said refurbish, uh, rehabilitate <laughs> these. You the point of this school was to refurbish the boys. Yes, they put them in rice and they turned them <laughs> off. No, <laughs> the Three point reset. of the school was to rehabilitate them. Uh, so this all sounds kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. That is precious. So one source said that they didn't have toilet seats because they could be removed and used as, quote, toys or weapons. And I'm not sure which one of those things bothers you more. Yeah. I think the toys makes me a little more uncomfortable. I don't know what kind of, well, I think a toilet without a seat would make me pretty damn uncomfortable, but, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like you can play tennis. Sure. You can go downtown, but I'll be damned if you have a toilet seat, young man. You may not. That is not the proper toy. It is not a boomerang. Uh, oh, one thing I found that was kind of fun. So I found this website uh, with photos of somebody that went on a tour. And they have the weekly food schedule of the week of May 8th to 14th from 1916. The, we have the officers and the wards. They were given three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, would you like to pick a day and a meal? And I will read them both what to you. What year was it again? 1916. 16. Let's do... Day of the week and a meal of the day. Day of the week? Uh-huh. Let's do Monday. Okay. And which meal? Breakfast, dinner, or supper? Aren't dinner and supper the same thing? No. Breakfast, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. A dinner is like, uh, way. I think dinner is earlier than supper. Like, uh, dinner is almost like a late lunch. Dinner versus supper. Um, dinner and supper are both used to refer to the main meal of the day, and especially to that meal that is eaten in the evening. Okay, but which one's Supper which? is used when the meal is an informal one eaten at... Hold on, I've actually got to open it. Eaten at home. So supper is used especially when the meal is informal one eaten at home, while dinner tends to be on the term chosen when the meal is more formal in some dialects. Uh, and especially in British English, supper can also refer to a light meal or snack that is eaten in the late evening. Wow, their version of supper and my version of supper is <laughs> wildly different because it is not a light snack. This is according to merriamwebster.com. Uh, from what I'm reading right here, I'm led to believe that it is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, okay. Uh, let's do dinner. Okay. S- wait, dinner as in dinner or dinner as in supper? Sorry. As in whatever they have labeled as dinner. The more <laughs> okay. formal one. Okay, so I'll do supper because that's the last one of the day. So I'm reading that as, you know, your main dinner meal. So Monday, the it was uh, for, uh, for the wards, macaroni Spanish. Not sure what that means. Applesauce and ginger cake. That sounds awful. Now the officers 
had cold sliced beef, roast potatoes, lima beans, blackberries, and cake. The fuck? Yeah. Hey, wait. Now I want to hear what the other one was. What their I want to hear breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, so for Monday, the breakfast for the wards were hot cakes, rolled oats, butter, syrup, coffee, and milk. For the officers, it was cracked wheat, toast, pork chops, and muffins. Who's eating pork chops for breakfast? The officers in 1916. Okay. And then the dinner, or what I'm assuming is lunch, the boys had vegetable stew, sago pudding, and lemon sauce. Like, come on, not even a meat. And what is lemon sauce? Do I dare Google? Yeah, Google. Lemon sauce. I'm very concerned this is going to bring up something inappropriate. Um, the only thing that's coming up is sauces to put on your food. <laughs> that seems like something they would do to these poor boys, honestly. Yeah, everything's now, like fish and chicken and... Yeah. For dinner slash lunch, the officers had roast mutton, boiled potatoes, spinach, and lemon cream pie. That sounds delicious. Yeah, and it just goes on throughout the week. Like for the officers, it's it's veal, pork, oyster soup. Veal, veal, yes, oyster soup. Uh, more veal, pork chops, and then the boys get like roast pork, vegetable stew. On Saturday for dinner slash lunch, they do get roast mutton, and then on Sunday they do get roast beef. So sometimes they do get pretty good, uh, but like, but they're not getting veal. No. And then one night they get stewed beans, strawberries, and cookies. So, I mean, bright side, they got cookies. Yeah, but stewed beans, what is that? I guess like lima um, beans or something like that. I'm envisioning like baked beans type thing, but stewed. I'm imagining like lima beans or... Something like that. Either way, like, they got the raw end of this Dude, deal. beans. Oh, it kind of looks like almost like a chili. Okay. Because there's, like, a vegetarian black bean stew. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know if this is accurate for what they had, but it looks kind of like a, just like a chili. Well, on the same night, the officers got cold roast beef, fried potatoes, gravy, rice, strawberries, and cookies. So, just absolutely sucks and if these poor boys had to cook for them too like come on assholes yeah i don't like that i hope the ones that cooked got to enjoy what they cooked yeah but i feel like they probably didn't mm, probably not uh now like i've kind of alluded to this place was rough like it wasn't just a school it was by all means a reformatory Mm -hmm. um, the seven wards that were transferred in uh, when the prison or when the school opened, they were trans transferred. Oh my gosh, you cannot get words right what today. What is wrong with me? <clears throat> Are you drunk? <laughs> I wish. They were transferred in from San Quentin State Prison, June thirteenth, eighteen ninety four, and these seven boys. Their offenses were, four of them were in for grand larceny, two for burglary, and one for robbery. Damn. 
There were riots. There were fights. There were murders. Uh, They were, you know, there was escape attempts. There were many wards that died due to diseases. Uh, Some of just a couple examples that I found were smallpox, tuberculosis, typhoid fever, scarlet fever. Uh, They were killed by guards. I think I said that twice. Uh, Oh, (laughs) you remember the doctor doing all the surgeries for whatever? Yeah, I don't think he's supposed to be doing those. Yeah. He did them on the floor until they gave him an operating table. Hmm. I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. And that plunge bath I talked about last week, I did find a picture of it. It is up there. Oh, God, do I want to look? It literally just looks like a bathtub. And I tried to find the exact chemicals that they put in here, and I could not find it. One, the one labeled cool? Yes. Okay. One source called it a chemical stew. Uh, Another source referred to it as a chemical dip bath used to remove dirt and pests. Another one said that it would remove lice, but they also made the boys shave their heads. So I don't know. What type of pests are you removing? If you shave their heads, they don't have lice. Well, a lot of them that came from um, orphanages and stuff, we also unfortunately know how bad orphanages were. So honestly, God knows what kind of pests that they would come off of these boys. But that is what that bath was used for. Uh, They would make them swim around and then hose them off like animals. Just take them out back with a water hose. What if they don't know how to swim? I guess hold your breath. Not real sure, but it does look like the pool slants. So maybe you can just walk and dunk yourself. Um, last week I talked about Anna Corbin. She was of course call, uh, found brutally murdered here. There was an, there was also an agriculture teacher and his name was James Wyden or Whedon. Now, you can watch um, Ghost Adventures, Ghost Asylum, and Ghost Hunters all go to Preston Castle. And while they're here, uh, two of them, I know Ghost Hunters was one of them, they told a story about James Wyden. The story that they tell is not accurate. Um, There is somebody on there, I think it just said a reporter, he tells a story about the agriculture teacher who asks two wards to stay behind when everybody else left and help him fix a trailer hitch. And when he leaned down to weld it, they beat him upside the head with a lead pipe. Yeah. (laughs) I found a newspaper clipping uh, that had this story in it from 1966. And it said that they were escaping two wards Robert Stallcup, he was 17, and William Dunlap, he was 18. They actually confessed to warder, uh, to murdering James Whedon? Wyden? I'm going to go with Wyden, because it's W-I-E. Uh, they confessed to murdering him, and they said that basically they were trying to escape. He got in the way. So they beat him to death with a metal pipe the size of a baseball bat. 
I don't like that. Um, no. In July of 1899, Joseph Morgan and another friend, Louis Simonoff, escaped, and they made it to nearby Sheldon before one of them was shot and killed by a guard. Um, they claim, this guard claimed that he was firing warning shots, but the kids had made it to a field and they were hiding behind uh, like a big bale of hay or a big stack of hay. And they had found Louis Simonoff and they had gotten him at this time and Joseph Morgan ran. And from what they say, the guard just shot him and killed him. Oh. Yes. And also from what I read, he was supposed, this now, he was supposed to be being released within a couple months. Uh, and people think that this guard might have done this on purpose because this is one of multiple escape attempts that he tried to do or that he tried to make. Well, mm -hmm. don't you get more time if you try to escape? I don't know. I know you do in prison. I don't know if a reform school is had the same rules. Okay. Okay. But I'm with you. If I only had like a few months left, like, can you just keep my head down, get get through it? Yeah. There were about 26 questionable deaths. And I could have gone on about this for absolute ever. But I do have one as an example, because a lot of them are very convoluted. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Grant Walker. He died in June or on June 17th of 1895. And he reportedly died of typhoid fever. <clears throat> That's actually, he's um, buried on the ground. And that is what is on his headstone, tombstone. Now, on a, on a paper report of some kind, whether it be financial or whatever, on a report that the school had to give to the state, the year, 1895, when Grant died, there were only two wards that died that year. One of them was Adolph Anton, and he died of a pulmonary edema. The other, the reports claim one was from typhoid fever, which, okay, that would... That's supposedly what Grant Walker died from. <clears throat> the other one died of accidental burns and intestinal ulceration. What? <clears throat> accidental burns and intestinal ulceration. It's, it said that it seemed like whoever, because this report did not list names, whoever died that way was probably forced to drink something that they should not have been drinking. Like now, pulp bleach? Yes. Like bleach, any kind of chemical. Something that literally burned probably all the way down and forced ulcers in his intestines. Like now, Adolf Anton, he, the, he's the one that died from a pulmonary edema. Pulmonary edema is basically excess fluid on the lungs. So this can be explained by typhoid fever. Um, 
but that does not leave an explanation for this other accidental burns and intestinal alteration. So it's kind of led people to believe that both of these kids died from, I'm sorry, it's led people to believe that one of them, possibly Grant Walker, was killed in some way, whether by a guard, another ward, and it was just covered up. And this is just one of 26. Now, the building closed in 1960 when the Preston Youth Authority relocated to a newly built building nearby. And on July 30th, 1975, Preston Castle was listed on, oh my God, it was added to the list, the National Register of Historic Places. And do you want to hear about some haunty haunts? Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Oh, okay, good. I mean, no, just kidding. That's not what I came for. <laughs> so it's got, it's got absolutely everything. You hear whispers. People see shadows. They see black mists. They see black humanoid figures. They see white figures. They hear screams. They've gotten EVPs like help. Um, don't go. Anna Corbin specifically is said to haunt this place. She, people have claimed that she responds intelligently. And I hope she haunted the shit out of whoever killed her. Uh, well, in the Ghost Hunters episode, she possesses zach question mark he's always possessed by someone yeah i find it hard to believe personally but it was very entertaining mm-hmm. give you that um people get grabbed they get pushed they see orbs pretty like like i said pretty much you're haunted bingo like they're just stamping all the boxes okay okay in Ghost Asylum, specifically, one of the things that they get that I found really interesting, they got intelligent responses from a ghost box. And that's the thing. Theirs produces, like, uh, static. You can hear things come through. Theirs said names like Jim and Sam. And uh, Jim was interesting because Jim can be a nickname for James. And James Wyden was the agriculture teacher. But when one of the investigators on Ghost Asylum asked the box, what's my name? It very clearly and correctly said his name that I forgot because I didn't write it down. I literally have uses the name correctly or what? When asked, it correctly names. And then I have quotation marks and nothing. I think it was Graham. Okay, well, I mean, no, no. <laughs> I will, um, you will never see me go to a haunted place. A, my dad won't let me. B, I will never be there going, what's my name? It yeah, won't be uh, happening. I can live my entire life without ever asking a spirit or an entity to say my name. Yeah. I mean, knowing my luck, I'd be singing the Say My Name song, Destiny's Child, you know. 
Is that Destiny's Child? Isn't it? I think so, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Damn, that's a throwback. Showing your age there. God, you're showing my age too. Stop it. <laughs> Um, on Ghost Hunters, one of the things, or I should say my favorite thing, because I don't want to tell people the entire episode, go watch it, but I'll tell you my favorite. They asked for a door to close that was supposedly said to slam shut, and that door did not slam shut. But another door did, and then they heard running down the hallway above them, which is my favorite, like, don't tell me what to do, but look what I can do. Mm-hmm kind of moment there like don't doubt my power but i'm also not gonna do what you want me to do so and i did find <laughs> two very specific very different stories online that were kind of fun really short but kind of fun uh so there's a couple of gurneys left over from the hospital no, there do not lay on those they move by themselves do not lay on those and then don't there's a some leave them there's a statue of the Virgin Mary that is said to move around the castle by itself. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, I can get behind that one. I don't know what it is about that one, but I can get behind it. <laughs> and that is the story of Preston Castle. I could have went on forever. I had to really shorten my notes. One, because this place is incredibly depressing. And two, because it just goes on forever. Three, because Jamie What's-Her-Face has everything copyrighted. Yeah, there was a lot of copyrights on this one, too. So it kind of sucks because it makes it hard to tell the story. But Google it and you will find a plethora. Oh, that was a good one. Ooh. I, I don't know how to feel about it. Oh, I meant to tell you the last picture, too, is a couple of pictures. From, of the wards in Preston Castle. So the first one, they're still wearing their military uniforms, which as uh, the school grew and the finances going to the school did not grow, they eventually did away with those and went to... Yeah. Sorry, uh, go on. Go on. Uh, they eventually did away with the military outfits and went to white shirts, uh, first, they went to jean outfits, so jeans, white shirt, jean jacket, and then they eventually went down to, sorry, we're having a meltdown here. You're good. Oh, we were having a meltdown. Everything's good now. Uh, they went to just the blue pants and the white shirt. So that's why you see different outfits here. Okay. Um, I just want to say that the first, the top left-hand picture all of those people look so unenthused. I think I could not find it to um, verify, but because that picture looks so old and they have the original military outfits and there's seven of them, I think that that might be the original seven wards that were sent uh, from mm. San Quentin and Folsom. Mm. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. They but still I mean, look very unenthused. Yeah. It didn't seem all bad, though. Like, you've got, um, that's a baseball team right there. Preston had their own baseball team. There's the marching band. I just want to say, the on the um, baseball team, the top row, third from the left, look how cool he is. He's, like, got his arms crossed and his little badass pose. Oh, yeah. He is 100% <laughs> team captain. Absolutely. I don't think he is, though. Oh, I think he is. I think he takes bottom this seriously. center. 
No, I think bottom center is uh, team captain. I think the top uh, right center where he's looking off into the distance. Mm-hmm. I think that one. The reason I say bottom center is because he's the only one that looks like he's really smiling. Oh, no, there's another one, too. See, I feel like if you're team damn. captain, you have to be happy to be there. At the bottom, uh, that is the shoe shop. And then I have no idea what the other two are. <laughs> so. Shoe shop. Mm-hmm. The bottom right. That's the shoe shop where they learn oh. to make shoes. When they I first cobbled. looked at it, I thought it was like a kitchen. <laughs> I just glanced. I didn't even look like into depth. The only reason like, I know that's a shoe shop is because there's a lot of shoes and there's a it's little a shoe shop table at the bottom. Yes. <laughs> it's a shoe shop. Shoe shop. I was zoomed out when I first saw it, so I just thought it was like a kitchen or something. <laughs> I did uh, find a picture of the kitchen too, but it looked like your standard kitchen. So these were more interesting to me. My favorite is the marching band with the castle in the background. Yeah, that one looks really cool. All right, all right. That was a good one. I like that one. I still have concerns about the surgeries on the floor. I don't even know what was going on back then. That must have been a hell of a doctor, I guess. I mean, if you can finish all your surgeries on the floor and not have a high mortality rate, more power to you. Oh, no. Sources stated that um, the surgeries most definitely added to the mortality rate. Oh, well, again, I said that it was probably not a good idea. So I'll just time travel back to the future and be like, you need to be sanitary. Wash your damn hands. And don't just wash. Sing happy birthday. You have to sing your ABCs two times. Mm -hmm. No, listen, and you have to scrub all the way up to your elbows and wear disposable gloves i gotta get under your fingernails too lots of dna there also you have to clean everything between each patient like thoroughly like use alcohol to clean it that sounds like a lot of work i'm just i'm gonna go back in time and tell them okay he's gonna be famous what they say okay when i fix my uh time machine i'll let you know okay thank you okay if you see merle haggard tell him i said hi I'll say, my friend said you look like a grandpa. A great grandpa at that. <laughs> but you real, you sing some good songs there. You know, my grandpa loves you. And, of course, knowing my luck, he'd be like, get away from me, freak. But it's fine. <laughs> get away from me before you make me wash my hands. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Hell on Heels podcast, Twitter at Hell on Heels pod, or you can search for us on Facebook and the link tree by searching Hell on Heels podcast. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create more content for you, you can donate through Patreon where we're working to release specials for patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, suggestions, or just words of encouragement, please email us at hellonhillspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to listen with you as well. And this has been Hell on Hills Podcast. Bye. Bye.